to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. We all experience grief and loss in life, whether it's the death of a loved one, the breakup of a relationship, the loss of a job, or something else. And on this episode, we'll look at what's involved in dealing with the losses we've experienced as a result of the pandemic. Joining us is psychologist and grief expert, Dr. Pauline Boss, whose latest book is called The Myth of Closure, Ambiguous Loss in a Time of Pandemic and change. Dr. Boss, we thank you so very much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Tell us what you mean by this term, ambiguous loss. You really are are the person who coined it back in the 70s. Yes, that's true. Um, And uh, ambiguous loss really means simply an unclear loss. And there are two different kinds of unclear losses, ambiguous losses. Uh, The first is a physical ambiguous loss, where the person's body is missing or they themselves are missing physically. My first research was with the uh, families of soldiers missing in action in in the Vietnam conflict. Um, And more common examples of physical ambiguous loss would be divorce, adoption, Uh, And perhaps a family member who has to travel too much and is away from home and the children a lot. Psychological ambiguous loss, the second type I studied, uh, was in fact with families with uh, Alzheimer's disease. And that is where the person is there physically, but they're also gone emotionally and in their memory and psychologically. So those two kinds of ambiguous loss can can happen to to you individually or as a couple or as a family. Um, But there needs to be the assumption of attachment. You can't have an ambiguous loss if you weren't attached to that person or thing like a pet or a house uh, in the first place. So um, that's the underlying assumption of ambiguous loss. We all experienced a sort of physical ambiguous loss during the pandemic because we were separated from our family and friends. Since we all face that, is there a collective way we can try and heal? I'm not sure healing is ever the right word because um, it implies sort of a closure, like a wound will close after it's healed. Um, Rather, I think we have to make uh, find a resolution to what we've experienced. And yes, we went through an immense amount of loss during the pandemic, but both uh, clear losses and ambiguous losses. So, what's the difference? A clear loss is when you have proof of the loss as being permanent and that it's quantifiable. Death is a clear loss uh, in most cases, especially if you have the remains and if you have um, a death certificate. That's a clear loss. Other clear losses that can be quantified and that have evidence would be loss of money, loss of your retirement account, loss of your business during the pandemic, uh, things like that. The unclear losses, the ambiguous losses, however, were many. And that, and I think those explain why we feel sad and angry. And what we don't know is that we're probably grieving for the ambiguous losses in our lives that happened as well. What were some of those? Well, trust in the world is a fair place. Trust that your friend who is coming too close to you may give you the virus. The virus itself 
is full of ambiguity and uncertainty. We can't see it. Other things would be the loss of your routine, the loss of, of confidence uh, in your day as being safe. So we've had, and I list many more in the book, but I think you get the idea. So that ambiguous losses were perhaps even greater in count than your actual losses from death uh, and income during the pandemic. You do get into that in depth in the book about these different losses that we suffered as a result of the pandemic. I really was amazed to see the kinds of things that you talk about that they really are losses. I mean, like I think of one thing that I felt very strongly was I missed the ability to embrace friends, to see yes. friends and to, yeah. to embrace to good friends, them. To, yeah. Give, yeah, to give a hug to somebody. And all of a sudden you're having to stand there and six feet away if you're even able to see them during the pandemic. And those kinds of things that, that we've lost that we may never really get back. That's true. But we need to do our best to uh, have a ritual, even if it's two years late. Uh, let's say um, a party for a graduate who never had a graduation party with the entire family uh, or um, even a tribute instead of a funeral, which comes two years late uh, for somebody who, who you wanted to honor and could not during the pandemic. Rituals are very important to memorialize, to honor losses. And we've had so many and we were not able to ritualize them and be with other others, which rituals imply. Uh, and so I think we need to still still do that. Uh, and uh, this will not, as I said before, this will not heal, but it will make more sense out of our loss. And we have to find meaning in loss in order to live with it. The current research says we don't get over loss and grief. We, li we live with it. And what that means is that the oscillations get farther and farther apart. They ebb and flow over time. But it's never totally gone, healed, over, or closed. So we will remember this time forever and we will tell our children and grandchildren to remember it as well. Um, I wrote in the book, of course, about the polio epidemic when I lost my little brother uh, the summer before the vaccine came out. Um, my father was um, um, born in Europe, in Switzerland, and he actually had flu in 1918. So these are huge, epic uh, events that affect us and we will not forget, nor do we have to, but we need to learn from what we have. I just talked to some a young person who said she was so sad all the time now and anxious. And I said to her, the sadness is probably grieving for what you have lost, your clear losses and your ambiguous losses. I encourage people to sit down and make a list of the clear losses you've had during these two years, and then the ambiguous losses you've had in these two years, you will be astounded. And you will know why you're feeling sad and sometimes angry and anxious as well. Can't cope with something until you know what it is. So I encourage you to do that. 
We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we have a special offer for you from our sponsor, Ritual, who you may have heard us talk about before. We've been big fans of Ritual's essential multivitamins and essential protein products for many reasons. We really appreciate that with Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you know the what, how, and why of every labeled ingredient. And we're excited to tell you about another great product from Ritual, Symbiotic Plus. It's my daily three-in-one clinically studied prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic designed to help support a balanced gut microbiome. With Ritual's Symbiotic Plus, I get two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional digestive discomforts like bloating, gas, and diarrhea. Why include a postbiotic? It provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining and supports a healthy gut barrier. Symbiotic Plus comes in a delayed release capsule that's designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon, an ideal place for probiotics to grow and thrive. Symbiotic Plus comes in an all-in-one single nested minty capsule. There's no refrigeration needed, so it's easy to take with you when you travel. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. It's time to listen to your gut. Ritual is offering our Nobody Told Me listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. All you have to do is visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. It was so sad to read that you lost your husband while you were writing this book. People wouldn't be able to go to a funeral in person like they would have normally been able to do. How can you, you know, try and keep that fresh in everybody's minds, even though time has now passed? Well, that's a good question, because he was very well known um, in this area, in the theater circles. Um, He would have had a huge funeral, as they say. Uh, There were essentially five of us there at the internment of his ashes. immediate family. Um, And there was a large Zoom, of course, for all the actors uh, and uh, theater people in this entire region uh, who participated. But uh, the point you bring up is relevant. And then my children and grandchildren said, but the Zoom wasn't about our, our grandpa, our grandpa Dudley, whom they loved so dearly. And so we had a family Zoom as well at that time so that children and grandchildren could tell stories about their experiences with him. And and yet all of that, uh, while that was helpful, um, is seems unfinished, as you say. And so um, I actually picked up, because I had started the myth of closure in 2015, I had to set it aside because he couldn't walk anymore. And he was getting more ill as time went on. And so after he died, I picked it up again. That's when I finished the book. And it became a different book than I had started. Because as you can see, I, I put him in the book as well. 
to memorialize him, to keep him psychologically present at that time, uh, because there wasn't much else I could do. Also, um, I know that my way of finding meaning in loss is to write about it. And other people will find meaning in other ways. But that finishing that book uh, was a way for me to make sense out of the loss and to honor my husband. Yes. Do you think in some ways it is easier to deal with loss, ambiguous losses in the midst of the pandemic, because so many other people around us are going through or have gone through these kinds of losses. I guess I'm asking in some ways, does misery love company? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Think about the lone family whose child is kidnapped or think about the millions of caregivers now who are alone at home 24 seven, taking care of a loved one who no longer knows who they are. Um, Absolutely. Peer support helps. And knowing that somebody else is going through the same thing is immense help. Going through something alone just increases the burden. And that's why we have groups for people who are going through these kinds of losses. Uh, we have we have caregiver groups, which are very, very helpful all around the world now, I think. Uh, and I think uh, what I worry about is that our reactions to this troubling time will be defined as mental illness. And I want to make sure you know the difference between sadness and a full-blown depression. Uh, the, the cure for sadness is human companionship, peer groups, other people who have suffered what you have suffered, connection, even if it is on Zoom. Uh, and of course, the, the treatment for a full-blown depression is is professional help and possibly medical help. Most people uh, have a normal reaction to an abnormal situation and can get through this on their own. And those are the people I have written the book for, not for the ones who have a full-blown depression. So I said, I hope the book book would be therapeutic. It's not on therapy, which I've written in other books, but it should be therapeutic so that you can know that your own sadness and your own anxiety are normal reactions to an abnormal situation. And what you need to do is find somebody to talk about it with. A friends, a peer group, a grief group. Uh, will, a grief group will not be quite right because grief groups tend to deal with death, a clear-cut loss. And, and we're talking about an ambiguous loss. So it's more about stress than it is about grief in the usual way. I loved your message of hope when you write that it's in times of absurdity that positive change is possible. What good do you hope comes from the pandemic? I can see some changes happening already, though we're still we're still in the chaotic part, I think. Um, And and it reminds me of the 60s and and even before um, the 60s and the 70s, I think we're both chaotic. What comes out of this chaos of become change that is very positive, I see it on the horizon, change regarding racism, change regarding um, 
um, differences in uh, ability to have good health care, good education, good housing. Um, we're in the argument stage still, but I think it will come because there are younger people and and older people and middle-aged people, all of whom want something more humane and more humane, less conflictual society. Other changes I see are more attention to climate change, which will surely cause many more ambiguous losses, like the loss of the ability to grow food or the ability to find clean water, et cetera. Um, and of course, with racism, we are paying more attention now than we have in a long while, which is much needed. And so changes are already here in Minneapolis, where I live and where George Floyd was killed. Um, the city is arguing, uh, the leaders are arguing amongst each other in a um, logical way, constructive way. And I think we'll come out with better better ways of being a city than we've had before. So I see positive changes, but also I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not looking through rose-colored glasses that much that I don't see the conflict still continuing. Yes, it is. It's pretty hot and heavy in Washington and here, and maybe even in our families. But that can lead to positive change. How important is it to have time to prepare for a loss, whether it's a clear loss or an ambiguous loss in terms of our ability to cope with it? Because I'm thinking the pandemic seemed to come out of nowhere. People dropped off loved ones at hospitals, never to see them alive again. Businesses closed suddenly, never to reopen. And we just didn't really have the luxury of time to prepare for what was coming. Oh, you're absolutely right. Um, let's go back to a clear loss first to discuss this. Um, a sudden death is much harder to deal with for the family than, uh, a, let's say, a lingering illness that you know is terminal, which gives you time to get ready for it. Now, they're both hard, but they're difficult in different ways. And the suddenness, I think... Um, uh, the, the neuropsychologists will have something to say about this. It's not my field, but it seems to me it's it's a shock to the brain. There is absolutely no warning that this is going to happen. Uh, in the pandemic, certainly it snuck up on us and there it was, and it was huge. Um, so we were all taken aback. Uh, and, and that, I think what it did was it showed which one of us could uh, tolerate ambiguity and uncertainty and pivot on a dime and which ones required absolute thinking, which says it's a hoax, it's not happening, and so on. Um, the tolerance for ambiguity is a sign of um, mental maturity, but more so, it's a good coping mechanism in a situation like suddenly having the pandemic, which takes away all of our control and so on. And, you know, I, I say to people now, if you're still standing and if if you got through it and you learned a few new things, um, like baking bread or some something, a new song or whatever, <laughs> yeah. pat yourself on the back because it shows that you had a tolerance for ambiguity and you were able to be resilient and get through this. Uh, not everybody could do that. Many people got more rigid rather than more flexible. 
And in times of trouble, especially when um, a loss comes upon you suddenly, you have got to become flexible and resilient quite fast in order to cope with it. I think something else that made the pandemic so difficult is that we all had people who knew people or who had family members who passed away during the pandemic. And then their loss was clear and it was so much bigger than the ambiguous loss that we were feeling. And so therefore it's like we felt guilty for feeling the way we did and we beat ourselves up more and that didn't have a great impact on our mental health. So I think that also made people feel like, hey, I can't talk about this with anybody because, because God, people have it so much worse. How do you think that has played into whether or not people have or will ever get closure from the pandemic if they've only faced in ambiguous loss? Well, of course, you know, closure is a myth and we don't want that. What we want is certainty. What we want is certainty of what happened, certainty of if our loved ones died, uh, where are they buried? Are their remains where they're supposed to be? Um, Certainty that um, as much certainty as we can have about the questions we have about this person who died. And I always say that even with a clear-cut death, there is still ambiguity and uncertainty. You know, I should have done this. Why didn't I do that? Uh, Did they really love me? And did they forgive me? And so on. So I about um, ambivalence and guilt, I say, I think we just need to live with a little bit of it. It's just normal to have some after a loss. Uh, I should have, I w- should have done this. I wish I had, etc. Um, I have it too, and but I have learned over the years that you have it with every death, with every loss, clear or ambiguous. And so uh, now I pretty much smile when I feel it coming on and say, "There it is." Um, There is a difference, however, between guilt and shame over what has happened to you. Uh, Guilt, I think, is quite normal um, with um, many of our losses. Shame is not. Shame would need some therapy. That is, shame has also in it self-loathing. And self-loathing or hating yourself um, is, is a step too far which needs then, I think, professional help. How can we cope if others in our lives really don't understand what it is that we're going through, whether it's a clear loss or an ambiguous loss, and we, and we feel alone? Oh, I think you need to talk to your friends and family members about this. By the way, after 9-11, working with those families in lower Manhattan, children understand this quicker than adults do. So ambiguous loss, a child will understand it. Excuse me. A child will understand ambiguous loss almost quicker than an adult will because they have more flexibility in their thinking. Uh, You have to talk with others. As I said earlier, write them down, your clear losses, your ambiguous losses. Get your friend or your family member to write theirs down also. And talk about it. Bring it out into the open. You cannot cope with something until you know what it is. And therefore, other people need to know, too, so they can support you or say something like, I have this, too, which we can really do right now because we're all in this soup together. Uh, We're all feeling 
odd, sad, sometimes, sometimes angry, almost always anxious. Still, because we're still not quite sure it's safe to to go out without a mask and to do what we used to do. What message of hope can you offer people who have faced a loss? Oh, whether let's talk about ambiguous loss and clear cut loss. I think you will see new meaning and hope in your loss if you give up on the idea of closure. If you if you continue seeking closure and the relief of the pain, it will in fact detract you from moving forward with your grief process. It, that's a paradox, isn't it? The more you want closure, the longer you will have pain. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So what you need to do, and by the way, the pandemic was uh, an advantage at this point. For example, with my grieving, I could I could cry whenever my emotions came upon me and I felt like crying. I had nobody around me. I was sequestered. and And it seemed to me that that got me through it in an easier way than if I had still been going to an office or even uh, going out into the public. I didn't have to put on a a, a, a straight face for anyone. I could cry when I needed to. That would be ideal. You need to let your body do what it needs to do after a loss. And grieving is normal, a normal reaction to loss. And if you shut it down, you will pay for it later, maybe years later. Uh, so don't shut it down. If some people are impatient with you, they are not your friends and you need to go somewhere else. Um, grief groups are wonderful. I would recommend those if you've had a death in the family. If you've had an ambiguous loss, then reading groups tend to be popping up all over using the book. So a group of people can talk about their ambiguous losses together, uh, as I said, is different than grief because grief uh, implies death, and this and the ambiguous losses are not that. So hope comes from finding some new purpose and meaning to go on without whatever it is or whoever it is you've lost. And over the years, I have found that that new hope is discovered more quickly in the company of others talking with others, hearing their stories, sharing your story back and forth. And suddenly it'll dawn on you what your new identity might be, what your new hopes and dreams might be, uh, and and that you can still be attached to the person you've lost, uh, but in a different way, in a symbolic way, and that you really need to find uh, a new a new life without that person whatever that means. And I believe it needs to have some purpose in it. Sometimes the part of the purpose is honoring the person who has been lost and remembering them. It's also a paradox. You you can both remember and move forward with your life without them. Our show is called Nobody Told Me. And at the end of each show, we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So What is it that nobody told you about loss, clear loss, ambiguous loss, and and coping with it that you had to learn the hard way 
and that you really would like to pass on to others? Well, I, I think um, my first big loss came when I was 19 and my little brother died of polio, um, um, bulbar polio. He played junior high football one Friday night and he died the next. It was a horrible time. And I was exceptionally close to him because um, my mother was very busy with another baby. And so I got to be his his junior mother. And so I was very attached to him. And I said to myself, I'll never be happy again. This is what I've learned, that I was happy again. And at 19, I thought that was impossible, that my world had ended uh, and the world I would survive, but I would never be happy again. What I've learned is with each successive loss I've had, and at 87, I've had many uh, losses and the most recent, my my husband. Um, what I've learned is that you can be both, both um, sad about losing someone you love and at the same time experience joy in other things uh, that come up. So it's, it's a both and again, both and thinking again. I, I am, I'm both sad about my losses and I've had a joyful life. I thought that line of thinking was so interesting. I took note of that for myself, not just related to the show, just for my own life. Yeah, you have such (laughs) wisdom, Dr. Boss. Yeah. How can people get in touch with you? Well, the the book is available at your favorite bookstores or online, of course. Uh, and in touch with me would be through the website at the University of Minnesota, www.ambiguousloss.com. Ambiguous loss is one word. All right. Well, doctor, we thank you so very much. This has really been enlightening and hopeful and human. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I appreciate it. Again, our thanks. Uh, Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Our thanks to Dr. Pauline Boss, whose latest book is called The Myth of Closure, Ambiguous Loss in a Time of Pandemic and Change. And again, her website is ambiguousloss.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 